Welcome to United Beauty, a podcast presented by the Salah Hair Foundation, which helps women and children with medical-related hair loss get wigs for free. I'm your host, Bianca Sala. I am beautiful, I am fun, a mom, a wife, a nurse, entrepreneur, oh, and I have alopecia. This podcast was created for other women who are amazing and suffer from hair loss. We discuss health, beauty, wellness, life, and other issues. We are real, but most importantly, we celebrate all women who appearances defies traditional beauty standards. The Salah Hair Foundation presents United Beauty, the podcast. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to United Beauty presented by Salah Hair Foundation. I'm your host, Bianca. And I have my girl, Portia, here today helping me out. Hey! We have have a special guest today. So, Portia, would you like to introduce our guest? I'd love to. I'd love to. She is a special lady coming all the way from Chicopee, Massachusetts, which is where her practice is. Uh, Bianca has heard me rave about her over the last couple of weeks because she is a dermatologist, but not just any dermatologist. She is a board-certified dermatologist specializing in medical, surgical, and cosmetic hair care for children and adults. Her research focuses on hair and scalp disorders and skin disease for people of color. So we want to welcome Dr. Yolanda Lindsay. Yay! Hello! How are you? (laughs) We are well and excited to have you. Thank you for having me. So um, I know you had probably a full week, you know, with seeing a a bunch of patients. Before we start diving into the, you know, really deep stuff, um, what has it been like for you operating during the pandemic? It's definitely been an adjustment. Our office was closed completely for eight weeks. And we worked virtually seeing um, patients from home open back the, uh, up the office on a limited basis in mid-May. And so since then, we've been decreasing our numbers for social distance, wearing masks, PPE, and the whole nine. So it's been an adjustment, but we're, um, we're in an unprecedented time. So we're just making adjustments and trying to be there to serve our patients. Is it difficult to, enough, like, all the medical professionals were doing the virtual care um, sort of things. Is that difficult to do? Um, I've been doing virtual um, care for actually many years on a self-pay basis only. And so with the COVID-19 pandemic, many insurance companies started to cover it since you know, it was recommended that everyone close. So, um, so it really wasn't that difficult for me because I've been doing it for a long period of time, but not all um, visits for dermatology are appropriate for virtual because we do a lot of procedures and things where we have to be hands-on, but definitely things that we could look at and discuss, they were definitely um, not a problem to do virtually. Bianca was um, telling me when she was looking at your um, Instagram, she saw that you got married. Yes. Yeah, just got married a month ago. It was very beautiful. Those pictures and I saw the little video, it was very beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> was that difficult, like trying to have a wedding in the middle of all this chaos? 
Now that was a challenge. <laughs> well, yeah, we were originally going to have a um, 250-person wedding in Florida. And so obviously we could not do that. So we had a smaller socially distanced wedding in Virginia with just close family and friends. So um, we had 50 people. And so wearing masks and, you know, the whole, and it was, it was beautiful. We wanted to go ahead and do it. I know a lot of people have put their weddings off for a year or so, but we, we thought we, we were ready to go ahead and do it. And so we were happy that we did. And then um, honeymooning was like also a challenge, right? Because we wanted to go actually not a good time to leave the country. So we did a road trip across the country. So that was fun. That was a lot of fun. So how far out did you guys go? To California. Our oh. Santa Barbara, California. <laughs> yeah, but we did fly back. <laughs> so we did a one-way road trip. It was great. But that is nice. So I think we're ready to open up our topic. Today, you're going to be schooling us folks um, or folks like me who are still trying to learn um, things about our skin, especially when you have skin of color, but just skin in general also. Um, things that we probably don't know about taking care of our skin and our scalp and even our hair. Um, a lot of our listeners and viewers are people who suffer from uh, medical related hair loss. Mm -hmm. um, Bianca being the founder, I hate to feel like I'm speaking for her, but I've been <laughs> working for her for so long. So, um, you know, we understand that this population of people are still trying to like navigate through this moment. And then there are people who do not suffer from medical related hair loss that still feel like they should understand it themselves. So I think you're going to give us like 10 things we may or may not know today. Is that right? Yeah, sure. All right. So you want me to just take it away? Just go for it. Well, I mean, we'll interrupt you. Don't get <laughs> We will ask questions. Okay. I kind of focused what I was going to talk on mainly around um, scalp and hair since it is Hair Loss Awareness Month. But if you all have specific skin questions, we could definitely um, delve into that as well. Okay. So the first thing um, that is really important that um, I like to share when I have platforms like this is for people to understand that alopecia or hair loss is not a diagnosis, okay? It's just really a symptom. And it's really important if you're dealing with any types of changes in your hair density, um, volume, breakage, you see patches, is to get an actual diagnosis, meaning um, alopecia what, you know, which type of alopecia, which type of hair loss, because um, I see a lot of people come to see me and they say, well, I went to the doctor and I was diagnosed with alopecia. And I'm like, well, that's not a diagnosis. That's just like saying I was diagnosed with hair loss, which you already know that you have. You already know you have hair loss. So, um, so that's one of the big take-home points. Um, any patient that comes see me, they get a handout. I want you to know the name of it so that you can actually go and do research, read more about it, because the more you can learn, um, the more you can um, you know, make sure you can advocate for yourself because not everyone really has access probably to an expert who specializes in this. So it's really, really important to take agency yourself. So, so that's the first thing. Um, and then secondly, there are over 15 types of hair loss. Okay. I don't Whoa. know if you guys knew that. 
And we break these 15 types of hair uh, loss into two categories, okay? So one category is non-scarring or temporary hair loss. So these are forms of hair loss that, you know, can grow back with treatment. Sometimes they grow back on their own, um, totally um, reversible, okay? And then the second category is called scarring or permanent hair loss. And so in these types of hair loss, the hair follicle itself is damaged or destroyed, usually by an inflammatory process. Mm -hmm. And so as you can imagine, our goals are different if you have the non-scarring types of hair loss versus if you have the scarring. So if you have the scarring, it's really important to get an early diagnosis because we, we don't want all of those precious follicles to be permanently destroyed. So we want to rescue them before that happens. So this is why I tell people it's so important to kind of rethink our um, love of trying things like um, taking six months to try this oil or try this concoction um, when you don't even have the proper diagnosis because you could have a scarring form of hair loss where you are permanently losing follicles each and every second, you know? And so that's why I think it's really important to, you know, like number one, get the, get the diagnosis because you don't know which particular type of hair loss you have. And so um, that's why I've um, really enjoyed um, partnering with different people in the community, doing podcasts like this, just to really get the word out to people that, that this is a serious matter. It's not just hair. I mean, hair is so important to us. Um, it's important for, you know, our expression. Um, you know, it's just, we've, we have so much tied, politically tied into our hair so much. And so I really want to help people as much as we can. And we can do that best with an early diagnosis. So I have a question. Sure. So you had mentioned something about um, saving the higher follicle. Yeah. How, are, like, what kind of ways, how can you save a hair follicle? Sure. So if you have one of the forms of scarring alopecia, when we look at it under the microscope, there are these inflammatory cells there that are basically destroying the hair follicle. So what we need to do is we need to give you tr anti-inflammatory treatments to get that inflammation down. Okay. So there, there could be cells like lymphocytes and neutrophils, very sciencey, but these are things that we can target with treatment because we want your hair follicles, when we look at it under the microscope, to have no further inflammation. So that means we've gotten it under control. Is that like, um, is that like the same thing as like Rogaine, like that sort no, of? No, 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 no. Rogaine is not an anti-inflammatory treatment. Rogaine is something to help um, stimulate the hair follicle to, to start regrowing. So um, many times the hair follicles in one of the forms of hair loss, um, androgenetic alopecia, um, the hair follicles get small. And so Rogaine can help those to become the normal size again so that they put out normal size hairs because the issue in that particular form of hair loss is that basically your follicles start growing those baby hairs. They're called vellus hairs. So we don't want those hairs. We want terminal hairs, the hairs you can see. And so that's one of the treatments Rogaine do. But some of the anti-inflammatory treatments we do is like antibiotics. Um, so antibiotics aren't just used to treat infections. They actually help treat inflammation. So they're anti-inflammatory. We use them for acne. We use them for a number of different things. Um, also, sometimes we do injections 
of a, a cortisone to help decrease inflammation. So um, there are some um, some uh, over-the-counter things that people that that research is being done, like pumpkin seed oil that could possibly be anti-inflammatory. The challenge with many of these things is the clinical trials really haven't been done, and so. We try to practice evidence-based medicine, but I mentioned these to people that I think it's pretty safe, you know, if it's something that, you know, you want to look into. Okay. So number three, I just kind of stole my thunder. Um, uh, the, oops. You okay? Yeah, I think oh. it's, it's, the screen just went away for a second. So the, the third um, thing that I wanted to share was the most common form of hair loss is something called androgenetic um, or female pattern thinning or male pattern thinning. So this is like this form of hair loss that I don't know if you all remember the show, The Jeffersons, that, um, mm -hmm. that Mr. Jefferson had. So all of the top is gone, the sides and the back are still in place. And so but about... 50% of people will develop this form of hair loss by the age of 80. So it's super common. And so it can happen um, in from either side. It can be a genetic component. So one of the common myths is that it only comes from the mother's side. It could come from the mother's side or the father's side. Or some individuals don't have any family history. They're like the first ones to develop it. So many times patients will come and say, but no one in my family has this. And I'm like, yeah, some, sometimes these conditions don't follow the textbook. <laughs> so, everyone's unique, and I was like, this is, this is the diagnosis. And so very, very important to treat that early as well because we can salvage. Um, definitely in that form of hair loss, if we, if we start treatment early, we can help to get a great result. And if you're at the stage where Mr. Jefferson was, like you can probably get a hair transplant, um, have a little bit more um, aggressive treatments. But um, the, the take-home point is that um, so many of my patients have told me, I went to someone and they told me nothing could be done. So if people don't um, remember anything else, I believe that something always can be done. Now, we might not be able to make a full restoration, depending upon what type of hair loss you have, what stage you're in when you come in, but something can always be done. Because if you do nothing, likely it's going to get worse. So um, I just want um, people to have hope that, um, that you can take agency and you can do something about, you know, these various um, conditions. So if somebody knows, like, my family suffers from androgenetic hair loss and it's destined to happen to me, they can come to you early enough, like, should, should they come before it even sets in or at their first side? Sure. So, um, I mean, typically people come in once they start to notice something, but like, so I have a couple of teenage boys who I'm treating um, their father's grandfather's uncle. They're all bald. And so their moms are like, I want to get started on something early. So, um, so we, we definitely do that. Um, so, but in terms of some of the scarring forms of hair loss, we do often see that running families. And many times a lot of women aren't aware that they have it. And so this is where the hairstylists really come into play because they are often going through the scalp doing various treatments and they can say, hey, did you know that you had this patch of hair loss here? And many times they'll say no and they'll take a picture of it and show them and they're like, oh, wow, um, so I didn't notice that. So that's something that's, that's really, really, um, you know, a great partnership that we have. 
And then the, um, so number four, um, that was, oh yeah, I, I kind of went into that with the hair loss could come from either side, but the mother's side, father's side, or there can be no family history. And then the next form of hair loss that I wanted to talk about is really um, prevalent right now, given COVID. So um, there's a form of hair loss where you can develop excessive shedding, where your hair just starts to come out. People are in the shower and they just see all this hair in their hands. Um, this is the form of hair loss that happens after women often have a baby. A few months later, like the postpartum shedding, um, it could also happen after having surgery, um, having major weight loss. If you've lost, like had weight loss surgery, lost 100 pounds, for example, in a short period of time, you can develop this form of hair loss. And we've even, uh, it's been reported um, just this week that individuals who are recovering from COVID a few months later can develop excessive shedding. So this condition is called TE or telogen effluvium. And so um, this is a, a, one of the non-scarring temporary forms of hair loss that can happen a few months after a stressful event. So all those things that I mentioned are stressful events to the body. And so it shocks the hair follicles from the normal amount of shedding, which is about 10% of hairs. And it could be up to like 30, 40% of your hairs are in the shedding phase. So it actually cycles the hairs out from the telogen phase to, uh, from antigen, which is the growing phase, to telogen. So an excessive amount it can be coming out. So I just wanted to bring that up given the time that we're in. Um, and even if you didn't experience COVID, there's a lot of stress going on. A lot of people have lost jobs. A lot of people are stressing about what to do with their kids. Uh, it's just been a lot, right, over the past months. And so we are seeing, and I predicted this, I actually did a, a, a uh, Instagram live at the beginning of the pandemic and I was telling one of my colleagues that in the summertime we're probably going to see a lot more people complaining of hair loss and sure enough we're seeing a lot of people bringing bags full of hair in just like freaking out and so we're able to reassure them that it will stop it can take six to nine months however for it to stop but the great news is you won't go bald from it because the majority of the hairs are still in antigen or the growing phase so that's a blessing, but um, it can be very frightening to see that large amount of hair coming out. And so there's sometimes I recommend some hair specific supplements that can be um, used for that, not biasin. <laughs> biasin really? Um, not, there's no evidence that biotin helps this form of hair loss. Biotin really doesn't do much for hair growth. It's really most helpful in the dermatology space for nails. So if you take biotin, your nails will get stronger. The situation where biotin is helpful is a rare condition called biotin deficiency. And 99% of people don't have a biotin deficiency. Deficiency is supplemented in many of our foods. And so that's just a rare condition that, but um, the bloggers I think have made <laughs> uh, taking these mega doses of biotin very popular. And I like to bring this up because the FDA actually issued a warning that high doses of biotin can cause um, alterations in your lab results. So your thyroid oh, wow. test, your cardiac enzyme. So it can make you look like you have a thyroid disorder when you don't. If you do have a thyroid disorder, it can make you look normal. So it can really alter things. So um, people definitely, if you're taking biotin and you're having labs done, you need to stop it like before you have the labs done. And then even 
discuss if you really need to be on it anyway, because um, there's a misconception that just because something is natural or a vitamin that there's no harm. And we do know that just because something is quote unquote natural or vitamin, there can be harm as we see in this case. So really important to be discriminate about what we're taking. So what would you say is a better supplement to use for someone who's like, I want to encourage growth with my hair? Sure. So one of the ones we carry in our office that I really like is something called Viviscal Professional. It has a, a very hair specific um, marine complex protein, which can help to lengthen the growth phase of the hair cycle. There's one called Nutrafol as well that has um, a similar protein as well as some um, ashwagandha root, which can be anti-inflammatory. So those are the two that do have some evidence behind them. Um, and so those are the ones that I tend to recommend because um, a lot of the other products, they may be helpful, but they haven't done the clinical studies. And so it's really important um, for, for me as a physician to recommend things that have evidence behind them versus, because, you know, with supplements, um, you can make any claim. You don't have to, uh, it's not the same burden of proof as drugs. Drugs have to go through the FDA for approval for a particular thing, but supplements don't have that same burden of proof. So pretty much someone could say, this cures cancer. <laughs> oh, you really not, you really shouldn't make medical claims on um, supplements because they're not studied in a rigorous way. Mm. Yeah. So next one is a condition that's very common. Um, next month, this month is Hair Loss Awareness Month. Next month is Alopecia Awareness Month. That's and so right. alopecia areata is a pretty common form of hair loss. We see also non-scarring, so meaning the hair follicle is not permanently damaged. About 2% of people can develop this form of hair loss. We commonly see it in children. Um, so this form of hair loss um, tends to present with circular patches. Um, but sometimes those patches can join together and it can lead to total um, or alopecia totalis or universalis where you lose the body hairs as well. So you could lose your underarm hair and your body hair as well. And so, um, you know, this particular form of hair loss, we typically treat it with anti-inflammatories, topical injections, but um, there's some exciting um, treatments that are still being, uh, they're in phase like three clinical trials, um, like the JAK inhibitors. Those, those particular medicines have been shown to even reverse totality. So when people are completely bald, um, we've seen regrowth with that. And so this is something um, coming down the pipe that um, hopefully will be approved, um, you know, soon to make it more accessible to patients. All right. So seventh, um, traction alopecia. So this is a big one. I think I know so, this one. A little bit about this. Yeah. Everyone talks about edges and edge, edges law, loss of edges. And so tractional alopecia is the name of the condition where individuals get um, uh, hair loss from excessive pulling or tension on the hair follicles. It commonly happens along the edges, but it could happen throughout the scalp. So for example, people with locks who do retwisting, we can see the traction alopecia along the part line. So you're gonna see it with ponytails along the part lines, wherever that um, consistent tension is happening, traction alopecia, traction alopecia can happen there. And so this is a totally reversible form of hair loss. So um, I, I always talk to my patients about the importance of rotating hairstyles. 
themselves. Hmm. Um, not to wear the same style consistently, not to tie your scarf the same way consistently, not to wear your ponytail the same place consistently because it's that repetitive motion um, that can lead to that, that hair loss. We can even see it in people who wear hijab. Um, we can see, you know, in, in a number of different ballerinas who wear top knots. So it's really important to watch the way we wrap our hair, um, you know, wear braids. And then if you do wear braids consistently, it's important to do holidays. So if you have braids in for take them out and wear your natural hair. Because a lot of people just take braids out and put them right back in and take them out and put them right back in. And so that leads to the um, increased rate of traction alopecia. So, so that. Oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I was just, I noticed that your edges appear to be intact. So mm -hmm. what hairstyles do you think women, especially women of color, because we wear these hairstyles the most, mm -hmm. you know, what hairstyles do you think are probably the most detrimental that can cause traction alopecia? Sure. I would definitely say um, braids with added hair. Um, that, that added hair just leads to more weight and tension. We're seeing it more with crochet braids now that those have become very popular and locks. Um, and so a lot of people who lock, they retwist and then they put the, put the locks in these various styles that can lead to a lot of weight. Um, and a lot of tension on the follicles. And then people who wear the like ponytails all the time, like tight ponytails, those, those are the common things that can lead to traction alopecia. But also little girls, we have to watch how we put those barrettes on. So I have a lot of children who have like traction alopecia along the ear from where the ponytails are being grabbed and those, those tight um, barrettes are being put on. So braids are our biggest culprit. That's what we have to look out yeah, for. Yeah, I would say braids are the biggest culprit. And it's not people who wear occasional braids. It's people who, when I take a history, they say, I wore braids for five years straight. Wow. <laughs> like, took them out, put them right back in, took them out, put them right back in. And so um, I, I get braids too when I go on vacation. But when I take those braids out, I don't put another set of braids back in. <laughs> my own hair out and so I think that's what's important so I think it's okay to do these styles but we have to do them in a safer way yeah and so um that we're almost done the uh -oh. eighth <laughs> so traction alopecia is the second most common form of hair loss in uh, black women actually but the number one most common form of hair loss in black women is a condition called ccca and so that form of hair loss is um very important. Um, I think it's underdiagnosed and it's really an epidemic in our community. And it stands for central, because it happens up here in the crown. Um, second C is centrifugal, which means it expands outward. The third C is just the Latin word for scarring, cicatricial, long word. And then A is for alopecia. So we call it CCCA for short. And that is, um, I would say, um, such a, a huge issue. Um, this particular form of hair loss can become extremely um, devastating to individuals. You can pretty much lose 75, 80% of your entire, um, you know, hair follicles. And so this is important to get diagnosed early because generally once that scarring happens, we can't bring that hair back. So there will be hairs that are not involved, so we can rescue those. But early diagnosis is super important. 
Um, so if you've been to someone and they and you think you may have this and they said nothing can be done, I would say go get another opinion because we are treating um, this condition with good, great success, especially in early cases. But, but even for, for later people, if you have a lot of symptoms, those anti-inflammatories can be very helpful because it can be itchy, burning, pain, tender. We can get all those things under good control with treatment. So very important condition. So you had mentioned, because um, I do feel like I've heard women complain about that sort of thing happening before. And I do think a population of them did not know yeah. what was happening to them. Right. So do you, or can you remember, because there's so many things you know, um, what some of those symptoms actually are so women can know what to look for? Sure. So mainly in the scarring category, Many of those conditions have the same symptoms. So itching, usually in one spot, usually in the crown, um, tenderness, um, tingling sensation, outright pain, all of these um, are symptoms that are not normal. And so it's so interesting, many, uh, many of uh, African-American women are just so used to just patting the hair because it's so itchy and we think it's normal. Um, our scalps are not supposed to itch that severe. I can see when you when it's time to shampoo if you have some itching going on. Sure, but just to be in a constant daily state of itching is not normal, and that's something that should be addressed. Um, and so um, those are things that we should really look out for and get it addressed right away. Okay. Yes. So number nine, number nine um, is related to number eight. Um, it's very important to remember if you have isolated breakage, so if you have a patch of hair that just won't grow, you, you ever had friends that say, I have this spot, it just won't grow. The rest of my hair grows, this spot won't grow. If you have an isolated patch of hair that won't grow and it's itchy and symptoms, it could be an early sign of scarring alopecia, okay, the CCCA condition. So get that addressed and likely you will need a scalp biopsy. So um, the scalp biopsy is a little procedure that dermatologists perform right in the office where we numb up an area with the little needle like the dentist does, really quick little prick. I had one myself. And, um, and then we take a sample. It's about the width of a eraser, a pen eraser, very small, and we send it to the lab and the lab will look at it under the microscope. Sometimes we don't need to perform a, a biopsy when it's extensive, but many times when it's just that isolated breakage, I like to do a biopsy to make sure um, that we have the proper diagnosis, that it's not just breakage. And nine times out of 10, it's usually scarring because when you think about breakage, which classic breakage will be throughout your scalp because that's an outside job. So when you think about it, whatever damaging hair care practices you're doing, you're doing them to your entire, you know, your entire hair, right? You're, you're using a lot of heat, a lot of color. Those are the classic things that cause your hair to break off. But if you have one patch that's broken off and the rest is pretty healthy looking, that could be a, a red flag that some scarring is happening. So I would encourage the listeners to have that addressed. And then the final thing um, that, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, is the importance of forming a hair loss team, okay? So as a dermatologist, I'm also a licensed cosmetologist. I trained in cosmetology when I was um, in high school and I got my license um, back in 1995 and I've been licensed in the state of Maryland ever since. 
Um, I don't do hair anymore, but many of my patients come in and they want, they need a lot of support around their hair care. And so this is why it's so important for dermatologists and, and hairstylists to be partners so we can be speaking the same language. Agreed. Um, because we don't want um, your stylist to keep putting braids in your hair because they don't know you have CCCA. So if we're on the same page, I educate the stylists around these conditions. So when you come in, they say, no, you know, Dr. Lindsay is saying, you know, these, these hair care practices aren't good for your condition. Let's think of some other styles, like some loose twists, a wash and go. Let's teach you how to do that. So we're, we're basically teammates. And so we need to be communicating with each other regarding, um, you know, the diagnosis, what type of treatments that we're doing so that you know what to do and also what to avoid. Um, what to avoid is very, very important. So um, I created a, a training program for stylists to really be able to learn more about these conditions. And they can't diagnose clients. That's really not their role. But their role is to get them to us early, you know, when they first see it, instead of saying, let me do these treatments here in the salon. Mm. And then that six months going by and you say you have scarring, you're losing follicles every second. And so I would say, um, form a hair loss team where you have your dermatologist doing your medical treatment and you have your stylist providing you with excellent hair care. I, I would love to see more hairstylists team up with dermatologists. I don't, I, I don't think I don't think we see that much over here in Western New York. Not at you know? all. That's good. That's definitely a good idea because, I mean, I was diagnosed with scarring alopecia. I went to a dermatologist and they told me I have um, scarring alopecia. So now my hair is like in the middle. It's gone. And now like throughout the sides, now you can see it thinning very slowly. So I feel like as I get older, because I had this diagnosed when I was 17. Mm. So um, I feel like as I get older, I see it now thinning more out, <laughs> you know, throughout my hair. So mm. yeah, that's, you're very knowledgeable. I'm glad I learned some stuff here today too, because the dermatologist, the person I went to, they just said, okay, well, maybe try Rogaine or maybe try this. And it didn't help, you know, it didn't work. Right. And so that's why, you know, I talk about, um, I hear this all the time. And so within dermatology, just like any profession, like law, there are people who segment, right? There are lawyers who practice business law, family law, you know, different types, just like within dermatology. So we, we all train in hair, skin, and nails. And then some of us take a special interest in certain areas. So I'm a dermatologist who specializes in treating hair loss, hair wellness, things like that. My mother actually has CCCA and she was told this in the eighties, like, um, try this, try that. And so what I find is that we really need to take a more targeted approach versus trying various things and just knowing like what to do. And so I think that's very important because we do see the progression without proper treatment, it will progress. And so that's really my goal. I want to help people keep as much hair as they can. And so if we could do that, that I, I sleep well at night. Good. Well, I have a game. We like games, and I have one for you. Okay. okay? You ready to have a little fun? Yeah. Okay, we learned a whole lot, so let's, let's break it up some. So, Dr. Lindsay, this game is actually for you, all right? Okay. 
It's called Say My Name. Okay. <laughs> so here are the rules. We'll read the description, or I'll read the description of a person, and you will have to determine if that person is a Yolanda or a Lindsay. Okay. Okay. So all of these people are famous people. Mm-hmm. So after I read the description, you'll let me know if their name is Yolanda or Lindsay. Ready? Okay. Okay. Number one. This woman is a radio host of her own nationally syndicated morning gospel she has sold nearly 10 million albums worldwide, according to SoundScan, and is known as the queen of contemporary gospel music and the first lady of modern gospel. Is she a Yolanda or a Lindsay? Yolanda. Do you know which Yolanda? Adams. All right. Good job. <laughs> All right. Number two. Born and raised in New York, this actress appeared as a regular on the television soap opera Another World at age 10, but her breakthrough came in the Walt Disney Pictures film The Parent Trap. Is this a Yolanda or a Lindsay? Lindsay. Yeah. Know which Lindsay it is? Maybe Lohan. Oh, this might be too easy for you, Dr. <laughs> Lindsay. Because right. I know that. I know that. There's <laughs> not that many Lindsays that are like, wait a minute. All right, all right. We're going to bump it up. Okay. <laughs> this Grammy-nominated American hip-hop artist, actress, and entrepreneur is known as the protege to gangster rapper Ice Cube. Her debut album, Make Way for the Motherlode, featured her hit song, You Can't Play With My Fill in the Blank. Is this a Yolanda or a Lindsay? Yolanda. I knew you looked like you couldn't even wait to get that one out. <laughs> Do you know which Yolanda this is? I just know her as Yo-Yo. Yo-Yo, yep. <laughs> <laughs> her name is Yolanda Whitaker. Whitaker, okay. <laughs> All right. This woman played center. This one's going to be tough. And made her WNBA debut in 2004 with the Houston Comets later playing for the Washington Mystics in 2008. Is this a Yolanda or a Lindsay? Probably Lindsay, but I don't know. It is a Lindsay. (laughs) (laughs) The name is Lindsay Taylor. Okay, lastly, because I think you just just killed this whole game. I need need harder (laughs) ones. Okay. This African-American activist, was firstborn child of civil rights leaders, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King. She was also known for her artistic and entertainment endeavors in public speaking. Is she a Yolanda or a Lindsay? Yolanda King. Good job. That's that's actually who I was named after. My parents, that's how they um, discovered the name Yolanda. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, How cool is that? So, yeah, you killed this game. This was no yeah. fun. I'm in a Yolanda, so I kind of, I'm always attracted when I see one. I'm like, who is that? That's true. I'm that way with Porsches. I feel like I know all the famous Porsches. So I guess I get it. I get it. I get it. 
So I think we learned a lot from you today. Uh, we ran a little bit over, but I think it was worth every minute of it. I think there's a lot of information that you shared that um, people will be able to take with them and start thinking about their scalp and their hair more and even uh, plan around the possibility that they may be dealing with some form of alopecia, the 15 different versions of it. Right. Um, before we go, um, we'd love for you to talk about, you know, if there are any projects you have coming up and of course, let us know how we can find you on social media. Sure, you can find me on social media everywhere at Dr. Yolanda Lindsay. You can look at the show notes to see how to spell my name because the Lindsay is L-E-N-Z-Y, so it's spelled a little bit differently. So you can definitely check me out on Instagram and Facebook in particular where I'm a little bit more active. And um, if you're interested in learning more about one of these 15 different forms that you've been diagnosed, I have a book that's called Getting to the Root, um, A Dermatologist and Cosmetologist Guide to Understanding Hair. So um, I go through their color pictures um, in each chapter where you can kind of see what each condition looks like, how we, how we diagnose it, and how we treat it. And then one... Um, little bit more recent thing um this week i was featured in good um housekeeping magazine and so there's a article yeah it's called every i printed it out so you can kind of see everything you need to know about hair loss according to dermatologists so i'm one of the featured dermatologists in this and so it's full of information um in there for people want to kind of get a good overview as well so you can check that out and i have it linked on my um instagram and facebook pages absolutely look at this Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. Bianca, you want to take us out? Yes. I want to say thank you for joining us and thank you everyone for listening. Um, definitely you can go on our website, Um, Just thank you for being on our podcast. I really learned a lot and I appreciate you sharing your time with us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. United Beauty is brought to you by the Salah Hair Foundation, an organization that raises money to help disadvantaged women and children with medical-related hair loss receive a hair prosthesis. To learn more about the Salah Hair Foundation or to donate, visit salahhairfoundation.org. Your donation would be greatly appreciated.